Coming up in this podcast, Woodside's FIFO project, contrary views in the nickel sector, Jimmy Wilson's lateral move, Port Hedland's dust issue and small business. Welcome to Mark My Words, the weekly podcast from Business News with Mark Pownall and Mark Beyer discussing the important business news and data stories from Western Australia. Welcome to our weekly podcast. Hi, Mark. Uh, Well, some interesting news in two of our major Pilbara centres. Uh, First of all, we've got uh, Woodside announced plans for a $400 million FIFO camp uh, up at Caratha. Now, this was a big story with our readers. So what's the detail and the wider context? Yeah, look, that's triggered some interesting feedback from our readers about the impact of FIFO on the Pilbara in particular. Uh, Been a long-running debate around that issue, and this has fuelled it. Uh, Woodside built the Gap Ridge Camp quite a few years ago when they were building the Pluto LNG plant. It was always meant to be a temporary camp. And two years ago, Terry Redman, who was then Lands Minister, and someone who was very keen to build up uh, permanent populations in the Pilbara, he actually blocked Woodside's request to extend the life of Gap Ridge. Now they've come about and plan a brand new FIFO camp. It's about a $400 million project. Very interesting way they've gone about it. They've brought in Multiplex and Compass Group and a few other people to actually do a build, own, operate uh, contract for running for 15 years. Still waiting, though, on state government approval. So it'll be an interesting test as to where the McGowan state government sits. Will they turn around to Woodside and say, no, we want you to cut back FIFO, which was the kind of thing that Brendan Grills uh, was pushing hard when he was in power, uh, or will they allow it to go ahead? Now, Woodside's pointing out they've got about 400 houses in Caratha, or at least the North West Shelf Project does, and they're spending about $55 million doing up those properties. So their argument is we've got an appropriate balance In fact, at the moment, they've got about 950 people currently scattered around several other FIFO camps in Caratha. So they're saying, look, we need a long-term solution uh, that's appropriate for our staff and there's always going to be a lot of FIFO in a place like Caratha. So, yeah, really interesting debate. Yeah, and it's interesting that it's still going, isn't it? You know, well after the boom, that whole idea of FIFO, it, it still exists uh, you know, it, it's got its it's got its issues, and we do hear a lot about it. But you know, it's a very practical solution for a lot of companies and for a lot of the workers. I think so. Anyway, interesting one, and we'll follow follow that with with great interest. Now, Mark, uh, further north in the Pilbara, uh, there's continuing debate over dust management at Port Hedland, um, and this is another example of where uh, residential and industrial areas overlap. We had a discussion about Mandogalup here in Perth uh, in our last podcast. What's the latest up at Port Hedland? Yeah, look, anyone who's visited Port Hedland will know that one of the most striking features of the town is the red dust everywhere. And that's part and parcel of living in the Pilbara, but particularly when you've got a town that's built right alongside very large iron ore stockpiles. Uh, And the wind blows and that uh, dust comes off those stockpiles and pretty much every roof in the western end of Port Hedland is covered in red dust. For five, six, seven years now, there's been a debate saying, well, do we want people living there? Do we want children uh, growing up in that sort of environment? You know, what's the risk to their health? State government 
put in a task force. They've just put out their report. And basically, they, basically they've said the western third of Port Hedland should no longer uh, have future residential development in it. And that has implications. There were plans for uh, some apartments that Finbar Group was going to build. Now, you know, they may not have proceeded anyway because of economic reasons. There's also big plans for a marina development. You know, and this was all about this, you know, building up Caratha as a, yeah. an attractive and place to live. And make it more livable, yeah. 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 Uh, I think a lot of that can still happen. It just won't be up at that historical western end of Port Hedland, mm. which, of course, is bad news if you're a property owner there or you've got a business down that end of town. So uh, reading the tea leaves, you know, I suspect the government will go ahead with these recommendations. And so the whole sort of shape and focus of Port Hedland, I think, will change over time. Yeah, right. It's pretty fascinating, though, isn't it? I mean, either something's unhealthy or it's not. And if it is unhealthy... You can't, how can you have people live there? It kind of seems a little odd to me to say, oh, we won't let anyone else build there. Um, anyway, I guess uh, maybe it's just on the edge or maybe they're anticipating you know, some sort of more future information. But that's a point others have raised, quite valid. Now, uh, look, obviously both of those are connected with resources and uh, there's more news in the resources sector. Uh, we've got the nickel industry. Uh, it's telling us two different tales, really, there. Let's start with the bad news. First, Quantum at Ravensthorpe, Mark. Yeah, and look, as often is the case, this was the story that made the front page of the Daily Paper. Um, and look, you know, it's a, a very significant story. Uh, something like 450 people work at the Ravensthorpe Nickel Project. Uh, about half of them are staff. Uh, the other half are contractors through uh, Pierce and Tini and Son, big business out of yep. Bunbury. So those people will be very shortly without a job um, and, of course, has big impact on that region. Uh, but we pointed out that there's a lot of other things going on in that sector. Uh, the Nova Nickel Mine, which Independence Group has built, you know, that's due to be officially opened next month. That employs about 400 people. So that's a very positive development in the nickel market. And the other thing that happened during the week... Uh, BHP's Nickel West business said they're planning to spend a bit over $50 million at their Quinana nickel refinery. Now, they've spotted an opportunity which others, like Independence Group and Western Areas, have also spotted. And this is the fact that lithium batteries, in fact, have more nickel in them than lithium. So <laughs> I think we've all had a bit of an education about how batteries are made over the past week. And... Um, Elon Musk apparently said publicly that they should be called nickel-cobalt batteries. Yeah, right. So this is a big opportunity for people that can produce um, a high-quality nickel product. So that's why BHP uh, is investing 50-odd million. Western areas are doing an upgrade. So they're seeing this as the big opportunity. You know, and this has been driving uh, the lithium industry in this state. You know, lots of money going into lithium for the same reason. Mm. Batteries for electric vehicles, for uh, long-term storage. And so now the nickel producers, or at least those who can produce the high-quality product, are saying, well, here's a big growth opportunity for us. So yeah, Nickel West was a business on the brink of being well, shut down. I was going to ask. I mean, I find that fascinating. Brink of being shut down. BHP wanted to sell it off. It's always been some, something of an orphan, and then suddenly it's expanding. The management has just 
if you like, sharpened the pencil, but done so remarkably well. Mm. Um, they were told by head office, we're not giving you more money. You can't spend your way out of this. You've just got to get a lot more efficient, be lean and mean. And it seems to have worked mm. uh, because the nickel price is still in the doldrums. You know, that was the, the key factor for First Quantum when they shut down Ravensthorpe. Um, so Nickel West is, is coping with a weak nickel price and become a lot more efficient um, and appears now to have a future. So great news. Yeah, and maybe there's some jobs in some of these other nickel projects for the people from the first quantum project. But, of course, uh, you don't get to live by the sea at Hopetown if you're, wor- if you're working on some of those other mines. Um, now, Mark, OK, now, this isn't a resources story, but it's got a little resources twist to it. Uh, former BHP head of iron ore, Jimmy Wilson, has re-emerged at Grain Cooperative, CBH. Uh, now, this is one of a few lateral moves that you've uh, kind of noticed. Yeah. Uh, look, I was absolutely fascinated when I saw this news uh, come through earlier in the week. Uh, and look, you know, Jimmy's someone who he'd worked in mining and in either BHP or the old Billiton all his life. But he also lives in Perth. He's got a family and clearly loves Perth. And so he's and why a, wouldn't you, Mark? Why well, wouldn't you? Indeed. <laughs> so it took him about eighteen months, uh, if not a little longer, to uh, find a new role. Um, you know, the, the the connection he was pointing to was uh, um, movement of bulk goods, but beyond that, not a lot of similarity. No, you know, no. A, a farmer cooperative is a big change from BHP. Yeah, the rain does affect iron ore mining occasionally, but not in quite the same way. But yeah, so you know, good on Jimmy, and uh, hope it all worked out well for him. Um, but look, we found a few other people that um, you know, his counterpart at Rio Tinto, um, Andrew Harding, um, when he left there, um, he ended up moving to Brisbane to find a future. He joined Horizon, which is the old Queensland Rail. Yep. Uh, Greg Lilliman, he was one of the top people in Rio's iron ore business, and had been seen as someone who had a, a bigger future in that business. Um, he actually got transferred to Brisbane, um, but yet he found a way back to Perth. Uh, he joined Fortescue Metals last year as Director of Operations and sits there as a potential successor to uh, Nev Power when Nev moves on. Um, another you know, really lateral move, Julius Mathis. He was one of the top BHP people. He left around the same time as Jimmy Wilson. He'd been a non-executive director at Quintus, the Indian Sandalwood Company, which was run by his old friend, Frank Wilson. Now, of course, Quintus is caught up in all sorts of mess at the moment. Frank's left the business to try and organise a buyout. In the meantime, Julius has stepped in there as chief executive. Mm. So, you know, from from resources to Indian Sandalwood. Um, David Singleton, he's now chief executive at Austal. He actually started his career in the UK in BAE, big engineer, um, defence contractor. He came out here, joined Clough, then ended up at Poseidon Nickel. That's right. And that was a business that was very much struggling. And then he got the top job at Austal. So it just shows, really fascinating, how these uh, top-level careers can take unexpected paths. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, one that also comes to mind, I think uh, you might have mentioned it, during the week, John Langelont, who was the uh, under-treasurer uh, and then went to join Kerry Stokes' private empire. Uh, then he went on to run the Okergy 
project, the Port and Rail project, uh, and now has since sort of come back into, uh, well, a bunch of um, fields that are, say, loosely connected with government again. Uh, and I forgot he was also ran CCI for a while um, after leaving government. So, yeah, he's, he was one. Going into resources and then coming back out was kind of one of those interesting ones. Yeah, and look, if the Okaji project had taken off, if the iron ore boom had lasted a bit longer, yeah. he could be running a very large business at the moment. But circumstance changes. Totally, totally. Um, now, uh, Matt McKenzie has covered off on a rather huge, the, the rather huge area of small business um, for our special report to be released on Monday. Uh, what has he found? So we've pulled together a an update on our list of sort of startup centres around Perth. You know, the, the whole tech startup field has been a big focus in recent years, and there's been lots of co-working spaces that have been set up. Um, places so the, these are physical places, right? Physical places, yeah, yeah. yes. But often they host programs to support the businesses that are in there. So, you know, people like Brody McCulloch has been very active at Space Cubed, um, Andy Lamb at Tech Hub and Atomic Sky. So we've had a big focus on these, but what Matt's done is he's then broadened the conversation and looked at some of the people. So, for instance, Phil Kemp is well-known around town through his organisation, Business Foundations. He's been a long-running advisor to, if you like, traditional small business. Um, Other people like Kim Charles runs Business Station. You know, they've run several small business centres. And what we found is that there's actually um, a lot of commonality between these areas. Um, so Phil Kemp, for instance, you know, he had this tradition, they used to have this traditional model where you'd go and hire a room, you'd put your desk in there, and you'd lock the door at the end of the day. He's actually, if you like, learning from the co-working places where it's bringing people into a shared space where there's a lot more interaction. And then it's about running programs so that the people that are in these places from whatever industry, whether it's a tech startup or some very traditional old industry, you know, they can learn, share with each other um, and, and participate in the same sorts of support programs. So it's a really fascinating survey and there's a list there that readers can see on our website um, as part of our, our BNIQ search engine uh, for startup and SME business centres Um, along with uh, the programs that they run. So have a read of the article, have a look at the list, and I think uh, people can learn a lot. No, I agree. I agree. Uh, Well, Mark, if uh, if listeners like this podcast, they might also like to try our CEO Lunch series, which can be found on our podcast page on our website or through the SoundCloud account. Uh, My latest interview is with HBF CEO John Van Der Whalen. He left school at 15 to join SGIO, so he has an amazing career in insurance, which took him to Europe and where he scaled considerable heights uh, before he came back here and has emerged uh, at the head of HBF. Uh, it's well worth a listen, so look out for that one. And don't forget our remuneration report, joint venture with BDO. Uh, it's a report that delves into the remuneration packages of up to 900 ASX-listed companies, looking at boards and executives. Um, and it's grouped into market capitalisation tiers, and the information is based on the most recent annual reports. Um, you can go to www.businessnews.com.au slash executive salaries slash purchase report to buy it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mark My Words with Mark Powell and Mark Bayer from Business News. 
For more information, please go to businessnews.com.au forward slash podcasts. And to receive these regularly, search for Business News WA in iTunes or SoundCloud.